Few relationships in anyone's life are more important than the relationship between children and their parents. When a child gets along well with mother and father, it's a gift. When that relationship goes bad in various ways, the results can be disastrous. In the Bible, Jesus tells his disciples, and now all of us, to call God our Father. That was very nearly revolutionary, but it was also something previewed for us in a way in Isaiah 9, and the title related to God's Messiah of Everlasting Father. Today on Groundwork, we'll think about God, our Everlasting Father. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is now program three of four in this Advent and Christmas series on those titles that we get from Isaiah 9 when Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So we've talked about in the first episode the Wonderful Counselor title. And in the second episode, we talked about Mighty God. In this episode, we're talking about Everlasting Father. And we'll get to Prince of Peace after that. So, yeah, we want to think about this title uh, as it applies to Jesus. And then we'll you know say a few other things about it. And, and we want to look at the background of this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament in this program. But we want to say right up front. Some of us, tragically, had abusive fathers or emotionally distant fathers. And so for some of us, that the very word father, even when it's applied to God, can be uncomfortable. Uh, it raises negative emotions and, and not positive ones. Yeah, there are people out there who have been triggered by father or they've been sinned against by their father or their father wasn't even present mm. in their home. And that brokenness, I want you to know that God sees and understands that brokenness. And we're not trying to trigger anyone in any way, but we're trying to explain what Scripture teaches about Father because He is not like our earthly Father in any way. And He is the one that can redeem the brokenness that we've experienced in our earthly fathers. You can't just say to someone who's had an abusive father, well, God's not like that, so don't worry about it. You know, right. that word father shouldn't bother you. When it's God, uh, it's not that simple. We need to give people room uh, if they have a hard time with, with that word. And so in this program, yeah, we want to celebrate all that is good about God as our everlasting father. But please know we're doing this with a keen awareness that that can be difficult for some of us. But now, again, as we begin, let's begin in the Old Testament, Daryl, where actually Yahweh— the Hebrew name for the God of Israel, he's rarely directly referred to as father. Father would be a very provocative term, and they wanted to stay humble, and they wanted to make sure they didn't blaspheme his name, which means to take his name in vain. So they kept using the title of Yahweh. They kept using the title. And actually, there are some times when they didn't even want to speak that name, and we'll mm -hmm. get into that later. But you can see in Psalm 89 how King David refers to God. It says, my faithful love will be in him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. There's an instance where David uh, does refer to God as Father. It's more of a declaration here than, than a prayer. Yeah, you know, you were saying that earlier too, Daryl, that the, God has lots of different 
titles in the Old Testament. Mighty God, he's the Lord of hosts, the, the provider God. At one time in Genesis, God's even referred to as the fear, the fear of Isaac. But direct addresses to God, his father, is more rare. So Psalm 89, some of us know um, the simile in, in Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So, you know, analogically, uh, sometimes in the Old Testament, you get God referred to in father-like ways. But uh, again, you know, you don't, you generally don't find the Israelites opening their prayers by saying, oh, Father God, because as you just said, Daryl, I mean, these people of the ancient Israelites, the third commandment said, don't take my name in vain. And they were so afraid of breaking that commandment that if they saw God's name of Yahweh in print, they would instinctively not say Yahweh. They just they say, Lord, which, by the way, in some of our Bibles, if you ever on, on the Old Testament or in a Psalm, if you see the word Lord in all, all capital caps. letters, that mm-hmm. was Yahweh in the original text. And it's been translated as Lord because that's what the Israelites would have said when they saw that in print. So it goes without saying, people who were that careful about God couldn't probably even imagine just saying, hey, Father, this is my prayer. They just didn't do that. So in our day, we have a lot of songs that sing to the Father Mm -hmm. and name the Father, I run to the Father, things of that nature. For David to write this psalm and explain, you are my Father, it might have raised a few eyebrows for those who read those and sang those in worship because a lot of songs became songs. Both David and Isaiah are trying to uncover a character trait of the Father who is God. And in Isaiah 63, it is explained this way from Isaiah. He says, look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us, but you are our father. Although Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. And then in Isaiah 64, it says, yet you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So Isaiah is explaining a little bit more about the character of God. Yeah, so in Isaiah 9, we get uh, everlasting father, and then it's Isaiah himself of much, much, much later in the book. We're way near to the end of the book in those two passages you just read. He also, you know, is is doing more there in just those two passages you read, Daryl. There's more father talk there than almost all the rest of the Old Testament. So that that's interesting. So the, the idea that Jesus is going to come, we'll look at that in the next segment to say, hey, when you pray, call him your father in heaven. Wow, that, that was revolutionary. But before we close out this first part of the program, Daryl, we need to note one other thing, and that is that these four titles that we're looking at from Isaiah 9 are applied to the coming one, to the promised one, to the Messiah. And everlasting father is one of them. Thing is, we now know that Jesus, as the Messiah, is the son of God, And yet this title is about the everlasting father. And so maybe it seems a little confusing to think of Jesus as the son of God made flesh, also being the everlasting father. Is that a little confusing? In a way, it might seem that way, but but there are ways to still distinguish father and son even so. If you think about the Trinity, the Godhead, you got father, you got son, and you got Holy Spirit. And they are very distinct 
in person, but mm-hmm. they are the same in essence mm-hmm. and unity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they can't be called each other, but they actually can be united as far as what they are. And even Jesus says in the New Testament, if you see me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So they are so close in nature that they can actually interchange the titles. So Jesus is also creator. Jesus is also redeemer. Jesus is also savior. And that could be said about each part of the Godhead because of their essence. They always work in tandem. That's one of the key parts of the doctrine of the Trinity. You never get one without the other two the persons of God, and they always are working so closely together, hand in hand, that you get one, you get the other. So yes, Jesus is the Son of God made flesh, but he's also identified with the Everlasting Father, as this title in Isaiah 9 tells us. But in just a moment, let's now go to the New Testament and talk about God our Father, so stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. Daryl, we just noted that although Isaiah assigns the title of Everlasting Father to the coming Messiah, the Messiah that actually came, the New Testament teaches, was the Son of God. But that Son is the one who brings us to the Father. And of course, Daryl, we know that um, in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. And it opens, of course, this then is how you should pray, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So when Jesus goes into this prayer, I mean, throughout the New Testament, before his resurrection, he usually says, my father, this, my father, that. Mm -hmm. So when he teaches them how to pray, um, he says to say our father. And now he's inviting them into a different kind of relationship than they have had the entire history of Israel because they did never, like you said before, they never, Mm. they never said his name. They never actually got that intimate, that close. And now Jesus is saying, you need to come closer, and this is your father. And probably for the disciples, raised as good Jews with proper due reverence for God, that was rather revolutionary. And and you would never dare call the God of the cosmos father unless somebody with an awful lot of authority told you you could do it. Well, guess what? Jesus has an awful lot of authority. So if he says, call God our father— it's okay. You can take that to the bank because uh, that, that is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. And of course, it wasn't just in the Lord's Prayer. Um, in fact, Jesus uh, talks a lot about the Father, as you were just saying, Daryl, and maybe no more, more so than in what we call the farewell discourses of Jesus near the end of the uh, Gospel of John, sort of 13 through 17, those long discourses. And in John 14, there's a lot of talk about the Father. Jesus answered, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So, again, notice how these words, uh, by the way, bolster the what we said at the end of the previous part of this Groundwork program, namely that although Jesus is the Son of God— we can see why Isaiah also says that we are to hail God's Messiah as everlasting Father, because the link between God the Son and God the Father is so snug. You get one, you get you get them both. Uh, that's why he says to Philip, show the Father. You're looking at him. You've been looking at the Father all along, right? So that connection's there. But more, Daryl, in the passage you just read, Jesus says, look, I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. So if you're in me, you're in the Father, and the Father's in you. We're all all this inness that Jesus has in these words and in the farewell discourses. But more than that, Daryl, what you read there said that when he ascends to the Father, he's going to be praying for us, interceding for us. He's our mediator who will bring our prayers and our requests to the Father so that the Father can grant those things. And that, by the way, Daryl, is why— in the tradition of the Christian church, we conclude our prayers with for Jesus' sake or in Jesus' name, because it is Jesus, the ascended Lord sitting at the right hand of the Father, who's winging those prayers through the Holy Spirit to his Father that the Father can give us the things we need. It's a beautiful thing how Jesus He's explaining his connection to the Father, but he's not only explaining his connection to the Father, he's explaining our connection Mm -hmm. to the Father, his disciples' connection to the Father. And also when he ascends, he will actually be able to bring our prayers to the Father. So he is showing that this is actually one of the traits of the everlasting Father. I am going to have you have my character traits within you so that you can be in our family. Mm-hmm. So you see the connections not only with Jesus and the Father, but also the disciples as well. And speaking of prayer, in Luke 11, the same passage in Luke where Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, a little bit later, Jesus reminds us what the posture of our Heavenly Father is when we pray. Uh, Luke 11, verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open." Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love that last part of that verse, Scott. If you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more? I love when Jesus says how much more. He's, he's trying to show that, you know, you have a father who has tried his best to provide for you on this earth, and he is not perfect. He has made mistakes. He's dropped the ball. But your heavenly father is never going to drop the ball, always going to be there for you, always going to give you exactly what you need, and is there willing to help you so you don't need to be afraid of him. Exactly. Indeed, uh, we did a series here on groundwork on Romans recently. Paul's 
similar to the Romans, so we remember these lyric lines from the middle of Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, as you were just saying, Daryl. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, meaning almost Daddy, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So that's just such an encouraging passage there. And here, again, Paul, for Old Testament believers, for the Israelites, for the Jews, just being told to call God Father was revolutionary. Paul moves it a notch farther here with the, with the Abba, which is a really intimate term. I mean, I, I slipped in daddy when I was reading it because some Greek scholars say that's sort of the force of Abba. It's not just father. It's, it's dada. You know, it's daddy. That level of intimacy goes up even more here in Romans 8. And Jesus being explained as the everlasting father is connected to this verse. Mm -hmm. So now he's our everlasting father because he gives birth to a new nation of people who are kingdom minded people who are believers in his name and the person and work of what he's done. So, I mean, Romans goes on to tell us that he has credited righteousness to those who believe by faith in the person and work of what he has done. So now we're children of God because of that belief. And so it's been connected as everlasting father because he is the father of those who believe. But in just a moment, as we conclude this episode, we'll ponder some more applications and implications of all this for our lives of discipleship. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, here on Groundwork, we always seek to dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives, as we say all the time. But you know, Daryl, we dig into God's word, not just for the sake of idle curiosity, not just for academic reasons to learn a little bit more. On Groundwork, we, we really want to try to perceive you and I and our team, you know, what are the needs of our listeners? What, what are people feeling? And how can Groundwork help address those needs and yearnings and questions and hurts? For this program, you know, we're pondering the amazing fact that we serve a Savior who is himself identical with the everlasting Father mentioned in Isaiah 9, and he's the one who directed us to call Almighty God our Father in heaven. And so how this applies to our lives is maybe somewhat obvious, but, you know, we want to conclude this uh, program by, by thinking a little bit more about what this means for us every day. Um, we want to look at First John because First John talks about how we are to experience Jesus. He was there with Jesus, and so he has a lot to say about it. But in a letter of First John, he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. 
we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John says that this knowledge of God being our Father, that we're in the Father and we have fellowship with the Father, it makes our joy complete. And what a lovely phrase that is, Daryl. A lovely phrase there from 1 John 1 verse 4, make our joy complete. And and who doesn't need more joy uh, these days? I mean, we need good news in a world shot through most every day with terrible news. We need a reason to get out of bed in the morning when all around us seems wrong. We need something to bring us joy. And of course, Daryl, as we've noted before on Groundwork programs in various contexts, joy is not the same thing as happiness. I mean, in fact, you can have joy even when you are not happy. The analogy that I think of when I think of joy versus happiness is the thermometer versus the thermostat. Mm. The thermometer would be happiness. It goes up and down. Whatever happens in your life, you're kind of carried along with whatever is happening around you. But the thermostat is set and joy is set. It's set on Jesus Christ. It's set on the hope that he has given us. And there can be things happening that make us hot, make us cold, up, down with our lives. But because Jesus is our thermostat, he can establish our joy even in the most dire of circumstances, and he anchors us when things are tossed and driven. Never going to look at my thermostat the same way again with that good analogy. Thank you. And in fact, it is probably in life's harder moments that we need that thermostat set to joy. We need the deeper truths of the cosmos. That's what keeps us on our feet, uh, and it helps us put one foot in front of the other as we journey on with the Holy Spirit in this uh, often hard uh, and difficult world. So that's one thing. But there's another truth here, too, Daryl. We currently live in a time when, as we all know, there has been a pandemic of COVID-19. We've had a pandemic. But one thing that has run alongside of and through COVID and that it kind of existed even before COVID and maybe is only worse now. So we've had the pandemic of COVID. We also have an epidemic of loneliness. People today report being more lonely and isolated than ever. Yeah. So remember when we had the lockdown and everybody had to go home, they had a curfew and people had to quarantine. And and so being isolated in those situations uh, for people who need social connection, that has been really devastating. And we're just now trying to figure out how to regather and reconnect with one another all over again because the pandemic reset the way that we even fellowship. Mm. And that was really hard for a lot of people. In fact, the Washington Post newspaper recently ran an article in which many of their readers wrote short essays about how their lives have changed after COVID. And and one woman said she's always been kind of a loner, but now after COVID, she never even leaves the house. She sold her car. She has her groceries delivered. She basically has no friends. She never goes out to meet anybody for coffee or for dinner. I mean, that's just so sad. But, Daryl, I think that's true of a lot of folks today. People wonder, do I belong? Do I have anyone who loves me? Am I an orphan, a stranger to everyone else? Maybe I I think we probably all have have moments uh, when we wonder those things, Daryl. But let's go again to address this from 1 John, this time 1 John 3. Let's hear these words of embrace and inclusion by belonging to the divine family. John writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And for 
people who, Scott, feel extremely lonely and isolated, wondering if they belong, this verse can actually bring them hope. Seeing the Father's love lavished on us, that word lavished, it really sticks out. Yeah, God doesn't dispense his fatherly love with an eyedropper. I mean, he puts the spray attachment on the end of the garden hose, turns the water on full blast, and he just douses us with his love. That's the sense of that word lavish there. And, and then we're told what's more at the end of the cosmic day, when Christ reappears, we look back at ourselves, we'll discover that we become just like our elder brother Jesus. Jesus. We'll see him as he is, and then we'll become, John says, what he is. So that's just a, a great truth and a great promise. For those of you who are feeling like, do I belong? Where are my people? Do I have anybody to connect with? First and foremost, the Heavenly Father is opening his arms to you. The everlasting Father, Jesus, is opening his arms to you, showing that he loves you, showing that he wants to continue to have you as a center of his attention and the apple of his eye. Do I belong? Does anybody see me? Uh, do I count? And the love that the Father has lavished on us, as John writes, uh, answers all those questions with a resounding yes, indeed. And that's good news. All that good news and even more spins out of the fact of our Savior as the everlasting Father who brings us to the Father with whom He is one and with whom we are now one in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, what else can we say than what we usually say at the end of our Groundwork episodes? Thanks be to God. But thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we consider the last title Isaiah gives the coming Messiah, Prince of Peace, and what it means to us. Connect with us now at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit the website, ReframeMinistries.org, for more information and to find resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, our post-production supervisor, John Reeder, and our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 